I think that's one of the new challenges we've had with this game, previously working on Valorant and, and then for me before that, League of Legends, it was very easy to test those games because you just need 10 players for an hour and you see the entirety of how League of Legends plays or how Valorant plays. But in a game like this, you need tens to hundreds of players coexisting in a world for weeks at a time to truly understand how those systems play out. Okay, that was Trevor Rumleski. Part of the duo that's running Raidbase and part of the duo that was the founding team of Valorant talking about the challenges of testing and iterating a really big, large-scale MMO game, like yeah. in contrast to what they did on Valorant. It's really yeah. interesting when you think about it. Very interested. I actually, I asked right after they said that, I, I interrupted him and I was like, are, are you going to use AI? And then they answered the question and then they answered the question again. And I just wanted to keep the conversation going, but I, I didn't, I don't think they answered what I meant. And what I was trying to say is they made these characters because what they're saying is like, whenever in those kinds of games, you have everybody has a different goal. Like when I played WoW, my number one goal was just collecting pets. And that was like my goal. So uh, what I'm getting at is everyone that plays these kinds of games has different goals. Like some want to min-max, right? And some want to just experience the story. I know, right? Isn't that weird? I don't really read the story in those games. And what they did was they created these bots, these AI bots that had goals, and they would just set them loose in the world to go do stuff. Do you remember this? There was, I think it was a GDC talk. And I, I, that was what your, your question to uh, Slim and Trevor, where are you going to do stuff like that so you can actually test what happens when players behave in certain ways and help automate the testing? Yeah. yeah. When you listen yeah. to the interview that's about to happen, folks, uh, that's what I was Because uh, <laughs> AI means so much now, right? It, it means everything. Is that... Is that is that jargony at all? Do we do we need? I'm holding up my post-it note. Do we need? Well, they answered two or? other elements of AI. Oh, is it jargony? I think it kind of is. I don't know. I mean, so my the only explanation that I think is worth adding in is that you know when you make a game, it's like you do all this work to build a world and the characters, mechanics, all that stuff, and then you start testing it, and you know, like in a lot of creative endeavors, you know that phrase the last. 10% is 90% of the work. So a lot of finishing game is playing it, seeing how you can make it better, all that iteration stuff. And in a game that has so much scale and scope, like an MMO, like WoW, or, or sounds like what, what these guys are making, mm -hmm. it just takes a long time to play the game. I mean, these are yeah. huge games. And it so can break. It, it makes that, yeah, it makes that, that last 10% harder, longer. So good question on the AI. That was all I wanted to say. No, I think it's interesting. So what do you what do you got going on? What do you got going on? Are you thinking about GDC? I am. Excited? And yeah, I'm excited. And I'll connect the dots for you. So I've been in the industry. I've been in the in the digital entertainment industry since 1999. But there was like SIGGRAPH at the time. And there's all these conventions. And the only one that I ever wanted to go to was E3. So I went to E3 as often as I could. So I've been to tons of E3s, you know? but never to like SIGGRAPH or to GDC. And then I went to Unreal Fest recently and my mind was blown at what happens at these, these conventions. And I'm like, man, I need to start going to these. I didn't know it was like this. Cause I always watch the content on YouTube or like after the fact, uh, but there's something about being there. So 
I'm playing Path of Exile, which is similar to the to you know, it's like a Diablo type, uh, you know, RPG action RPG. And this is why I'm excited. In the game, they don't have gold. When you sell things, they give you crafting materials. So you know how like in these games, you like you kill an orc and they drop like a club, yeah, and you pick up the club and like maybe they drop like a dead fish or something. It's like rotted fish, and you put it in your inventory. And then you go back to the town and you sell the stuff to the uh, one of the one of the NPCs there. The shop. It's a really neat thing. So I was like, man, that's a really. And then I got excited about the design, and then I got excited about going to GDC because I know that that kind of like getting excited about those kinds of things. Everyone there gets excited about the same kind of thing. If that makes sense. It's kind of like you know if you're into like skiing and you go to a skiing convention or cars, you go to a car convention. You know what I mean? Are, are the folks that made that game are they doing a talk at the conference? I don't know, but they have a second game coming out soon. They have like a okay. part two, and that's why I'm playing the first one. And I was like, I, you know, I never really played this, so I installed it, and it put its hooks in me. It's really good. Yeah, it's fun. Well, GDC, the Game Developer Conference, I can't believe that you've never been. Um, so me neither. Well, we're going to do something, right? Shh. Okay. Shh. Oh, Maybe. folks. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Let's see. We had the good fortune of getting to hang out with Stephen Lim and Trevor Lemleski, the founders of rate base and also the co-founding team behind Valorant, which I, you know, I haven't personally played a ton of Valorant, but a lot of Valorant has been played in your house. In my house. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people play it. A lot of my friends play yes, it regularly. I had a lot of friends that worked on the game, and it's um, it's really interesting to hear them talk about the genesis of that project being a competitive game first, and that's just something I've never, you know, I have never approached building the game, you know, yeah, from that lens. Tough. Yeah. So, so it's just really interesting. Um, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's a good one. And here you go. Leveling up your game dev career, but not sure where to start? Maybe you're trying to break into the industry, looking to connect with other people who are making games. Consider joining the International Game Developers Association, the IGDA, the world's largest nonprofit, member-driven professional association serving all individuals who create games. I was in the IGDA in Chicago, met a lot of people, great way to network. The IGDA exists to support and empower game developers around the world in achieving fulfilling and sustainable careers. Discounts, educational and advocacy-based resources, mentorship, and solidarity across 160 plus chapters. To join the IGDA, visit IGDA.org membership and use the code IGDA fourth curtain 15, no spaces there, to get 15% off one and two year memberships, as well as a student membership. Joining the IGDA is a great move for your career. And as a nonprofit supporting everyone making games, it's a great move for the whole community. Join today. Welcome to the program, everybody. Today we have a very special episode featuring not one, but two guests. I love the two furs together. Uh, Stephen Lim and Trevor Romleski are the founders of game studio Raid Base. That's a very cool name for a studio. That's a great name. Raid Base. Famously, the co-founding team behind the hit game Valorant. And I just want to tell you guys, uh, I, I want to give you, a, I want to I want to say thanks 
and let you know that I, Trevor, you know this. Valorant's my son Owen's favorite game. Uh, and there was two summers ago, uh, Owen and I spent in Chicago together. He was doing an internship. And it was right when I think uh, it was one of the big trends, like the Champions Tour or something was going on. And we would just, he'd come, we he'd come home from work. Like he was out at work. I'd like come out of my home office and we'd just sit on the couch and watch games together. So I wanted to thank you for that. And thanks awesome. for being here. It's great to see you guys. Great to see you guys. A pleasure to be here. How's it going? What are you guys up to? Well, I want to hear the raid base stories that came up. What was that about? Like the, the names. The name was... <laughs> Maybe this tells shows a little bit about my personality. Like I'm I'm a former engineer. I was an engineer for like seven years, and before I became a producer type person, and um, I kind of come at things like kind of pragmatically and kind of systemically, and then at some point it just like I just let it go, and it just builds a life of itself. And I kind of now that we're talking about it, I see that pattern like kind of everywhere. And the name was kind of like that too. Like I made a list of like I think over a hundred names. And I just literally just checked if there was the URL was available, and every one of them was taken except for raid base. And wow, wow. And um, we didn't well, we didn't pick it just because of that. But when I note when that happened, I thought about the name raid base more. And of all the names, it was like uh, I think the most relevant to us because it's kind of in the spirit of both our studio and also our game. Um, that do you guys are you guys familiar with the term raid base? Just from gaming, I have this post-it note that I put on uh, on my monitor for season two. Explain jargon. So unpack unpack that one for us. Unpack it. That's going to be the theme of this season. Sure. Yeah. No, I'd be happy to explain. In PvP MMOs and PvP sandbox games, the ones that have like group versus group dynamics, where one guild will raid another guild, uh, castle or anything, um, you typically need to set up like logistics. So um, what something that a lot of people don't know is like wars are, you know, famously like won on logistics. Like, do you have enough bullets and explosives and tanks and whatever? <clears throat> and then the attack is the like climax or something, right? And a lot of the actual work is in the unsexy, like behind the scenes. But in the case of a raid base, um, it, it's your forward operating base. So people will often call this thing the FOB or the raid base. And it's like the temporary base that you set up just like, just the hill around the, or just around the corner of the hill from the target. And so you can kind of tell, like, it's just about to go down when someone builds a raid base. Mm. Um, somebody around is going to get hit. Um, but it's also simultaneously, like, a chance to attack the attacker before they attack you. And so this is like cat and mouse game of, like, are they attacking me? Should we attack them before they attack us? Are we going to make a new enemy? Are we going to make a new friend? And so that all really <laughs> pulls everyone together to really like focus and take everything really seriously. Um, it's obviously a very like um, on the offense kind of thing too, which I think is a nice kind of orientation or stance um, for our studio. So it was like so many things about it when I thought about it. I'm like, this is freaking perfect for for what we are, who we are, what we're doing. So yeah, that that's got a lot of a lot of depth and meaning. Yeah. There, there was like a day back in the the must have been the late '90s where I just I registered I don't know probably 50 URLs and I just keep going back to that that well. You could get good ones back then. I, I'm amazed you got raid base. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed too. We got we we got them across like all all the different extensions and stuff. But yeah, the other one I was thinking about was way too heady. Like I'm glad Trevor Trevor just went and this is this is one of the things we just learned about each other over time. Like if he hesitates. Like I know he's he he's he's quiet right now, but like usually when he when he says has something to say, it's like 
you know, you have to think twice. So all he had to do was go like, mm. <laughs> I was just like, oh shit, there's something wrong with this. Um, but what was it? It was um, Third Law, which was like, it obviously could have been like a law company or whatever. Somebody else was like camping it. So I would have had to pay like 75 grand or something for it. I'm like, so, um, or something like that. And um, it, it was in reference to Newton's Third Law, which is like for every force is like a, you know, equal opposite force, which I think also is like kind of in the spirit, but like that requires way too much explanation. And so uh, that's kind of cool though. Okay. Third law. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If we had a we 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 give up on this and go go to a law company, which at this point from all the contracts we've been doing, maybe we could do <laughs> like that we would call it third law. So wait, yeah. wait, is the is I was gonna ask sorry about the the mechanic. Is that mechanic in your new game? Well I mean it, it's a kind of the spirit in general. Like there's a lot of kind of like I don't know, um, things that should resonate with our audience, which are just kind of like intuitive, but we're trying to um, breadcrumb to to other audiences. Like the notion that like there are consequences to your actions, um, reputational and, and otherwise, um, cost to weigh out. Like we can go and when we raid, like, you know, people think of the profit and the exciting like thing, but we could dump all our like last two weeks of explosives here and like not we could get nothing. We could walk out empty handed here or worse. Someone could intercept and take all our stuff before we even get to do anything. And so you always want to kind of like weigh things out, um, weigh out the social consequences of your actions. Like, who are we hitting? Like, do you just hit any random person out in the street? No, like if you hit the wrong person and you stir up a hornet's nest of like, you know, counteraction from another gang, like that's like not good. That's like unprofitable basically. Right. So so that general concept is applied to all, like a lot of our systems and yeah. Mm, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. It's also kind of uh, a little subtle nod if, you know, anyone's interested in the company or was, was looking at what we're building, just the name of the company should give somewhat of an indicator. And if you know what a raid base is, you're probably already uh, into the genre and, 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 and pretty aware of, you know, those experiences in, in, in those types of games. So, you know, I think, whether we have like that literal implementation or, or the way in which you go about it, I think Slim going talking about the high level of it is is something we do want to have in the game and the ability to have some of those interactions and dynamics uh, that exist in these other games that that have you know this concept of a raid base. We want some more things as well. Well, what what can you say about the game? We haven't said much <laughs> publicly. How much can you say? The high level of our game. Um, is fundamentally, I think the words I would pick today would be a PvP sandbox game. I think that those are the simplest words that grab most of the surface area. Um, so the PvP part um, is mostly focused on group dynamics. So our group versus your group, our gang versus your gang, our cartel versus your cartel kind of thing. Um, the the primary differences there might be like scale and scope. Um, and uh, and the sandbox nature of it is a reminder to us, actually, our own dev team, that in general, we're going to try to tune things to be uh, more about the like policies and like ground rules. And the fun of the game is more on the onus of the, the, the players and what they do with the tools that we give them. So I, th I think the looser we are, let's say all the way to like Lego blocks, you're like Minecraft, we're not there. And on the other end, where you're like really tightly controlled and you're uh, playing an experience that we, the developers, crafted for you, I think you're you get called more and more an MMO. I think if you have a lot of players, um, you know, where there's literally specific quest lines or a 
chain of dungeons of difficulty. Yeah, you almost get into that theme park MMO design on on the extreme end of the spectrum. And I would say we are um, not just middle, but like leaning towards more sandbox where um, Mm. you have a environment and a bunch of rules that we try to regulate um, extremities where when you accomplish something, you know it was you, not us. Like not everyone's going to get be able to do some of these things. Um, and we, as a studio, um, for now, <laughs> we'll see how it goes, are okay with that as a philosophy. Um, and and I think a lot of that is related to agency. So mm-hmm. people talk about agency as a matter of, uh, player agency as a matter of like freedom, but to what end? And for us, that end is our thesis. And our thesis is about um, providing a game where people, an environment where people can build a reputation for themselves. Well, what we mean by that is like when we look across some of the games that we refer to, um, I know you had Raf Koster on. He's like, you know, someone we famously, sorry, someone we very much respect um, and, and had a pleasure of meeting over the last couple of years. Um, he, uh, we, he obviously was the lead of Ultima Online, and uh, that's one of the games we reference. Another uh, more recent one, but actually it's like 10 years old now, is Rust. And another one that we reference um, is Eve Online, which um, all of which seem very different on the surface. Um, mm-hmm. And we even refer to some text-based MUDs. Um, they seem very different on the surface, but we intuitively felt there was something in common between them. And um, it's something that we both were stewing on for the better part of 10 to 20 years. And during the development of Valorant, we were we we we, we part of the reason why we got along was <clears throat> um, Trevor spent a lot of time of all games in <laughs> Lineage 2. I don't know how he got into it from the desert. He grew up in Palm <laughs> Springs. Like, how did you encounter like Lineage 2? But okay. Um, and I, I got my first MMO was Dark Ages of Camelot, and uh, which is famous for you know, having great PvP for an MMO. And, um, and over the years, we had a lot of time to stew on those games that we you know, were compelled to think about a lot. We made some of our best friends from these games. Um, we've had some of the deepest committed experiences. Um, and we heard similar stories from all these games we mentioned. And so intuitively, it felt like there was something in common, but the people would designate them in different genres. Um, and when when I looked across all of them, one of the things that I thought they had in common was a sense that, like, what compelled people at that time, in that era, to stay in these games, not only night after night, not only week after week, but literally year after year. And at that time, updates were not common. Like mm-hmm. updates right. might be as separate as an entire expansion. It was not super common at that time to patch the game, let alone patch it every week, as a lot of most games do today. And so, despite content, because the common wisdom among MMO or, or uh, makers was like, "Oh, why, why are the player counts down? Oh, we need to like update new content, aka new dungeons, new monsters, new whatever, um, new leveling uh, um, uh, band or something." Um, and that was just treated as a given. But back then, didn't have any of that. And yet, people we all <laughs> stayed in there years, right? So I thought that there has to be something to it. And um, you know, thinking of, upon a lot of these stories, the thing in common was that they were someone in that game. Though there was someone that they were respected, or feared, or needed. Um, we always, you know, made new friends by. Sometimes you, you needed a fill, like we need we need a healer. We need to pick up 
pick up healer. And then, you know, you kind of trial them and test them out and they need a guild and eventually you like know them by person. Eventually some of these people are some of the people you spend more time with than anyone else. Um, and, and, and I think there's something clearly so powerful about that where, um, once you feel that feeling of being respected or needed, it's something I think that's so inherently built into us as humans. And, um, and, you know, I'm saying this as, as if it was such a grand, like, I don't know, reveal to me. And, and, and it kind of was, but there was something about it that also felt really like, this is so no duh. Why wasn't this like more <laughs> obvious earlier? And I realized after some time that we accidentally backed ourselves into the um, hierarchy of needs. Really? <laughs> you look at the, are you guys familiar with the, hier- the yeah. um, uh, Maslow's hierarchy Maslow's of needs? Hierarchy. Yeah. yeah. If you look up Maslow's, I, I think it's M-A-S-L-O-W, um, hierarchy of needs. It's a, it's a pyramid uh, diagram and it's like a psych 101 thing where there's like the bottom layers are like your basic needs, like safety and am I hungry and whatever. And then the higher ones, it's like seven layers or eight layers or something. Um, the higher ones uh, articulate like various forms of impact. Um, it's not specifically by scale necessarily, but you could just simplify it like I'm having impact at different scales. So Every human, I think it's intuitive to all of us without even having to know the name of the concept, because I think it's like deeply wired into all, all of us. And so, um, you know, a lot of people, for a lot of people, like meaning uh, to life, uh, meaning to your actions comes from the reflection of like, you know, am I making an impact? Do I, am I going to leave my mark and that kind of thing? Right. So, so, you know, I don't know right now yet um, what to do about that for people in real life, but we're going to make a game that tries to, um, we're going to make a, a modern game. that, that That's so cool. It. I mean, just, if you just think about like the impact that games have on uh, people um, and, and why playing games has been a part of the human experience, although it's back to the very, very beginning. That's just amazing. Like they, yeah. Like yeah. you're, you're building, you're building a, a, a place and a space and it, and it, an infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, that allows people to be, get fulfillment, you know, that's uh, more accessible than the real world. <laughs> yeah, the, in a way, the way we, we picked a, a space that is one of the oldest spaces. Um, uh, people ask us, like, you know, what makes, after all the work and after all the time and after all the investment, like, how do you know it's going to work? I'm like, I don't know it'll work. <laughs> We're trying to make it work. But what gives me confidence so far is um, like, think about all the games I mentioned are some of the oldest uh, games. Um, and Eve in particular, uh, something that a lot of people don't know is um, it has largely only grown over the 20 years. I think its highest subscription count um, was uh, was a couple years ago during COVID. Um, but it it uh, it's just celebrated its 20th anniversary, and so like that is completely unprecedented. Like we don't know that there's an end. It, it may never end. Like you know. So hey, have you talked? Have you talked at all about like the like the genre and the setting and uh, of of the game? Uh, we haven't. Other than on the on the site we mentioned, it'll be science fantasy. So um, uh, our, our our creative director will will um probably slap me for this, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of similarity to like uh, Star Wars, basically, like where what we mean by science fantasy is it's not quite like sciencey science fiction, like physics space. It's not uh-huh. like okay, um, uh, not hard sci-fi. Three, it's not three body right. problem. It's not yeah. um fun fun sci-fi. Yeah, is yeah. the and game gonna fantasy, have? Yeah. Is the game gonna have? So you mentioned lineage too. Is that the one that you could you could have your character just play and you could 
go do something else? That's a that's a modern part of of lineage too that's evolved over time because back you know back in my day we played you know manually with our hands but you you would you know you would sit there sometimes for for 15 16 hours straight grinding towards a level you know and 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 the reality is at the end of the day you don't really need to be sitting there physically hitting those buttons what's important is actually that you control that territory and you've set up your buffs and your party in the right right way in which you're sitting there and acquiring XP. And so the game is like almost oddly like abstracted itself where people started botting as a response to that because uh, why should I hit these four buttons in repetition for 15 hours when a bot can do it? And then eventually the developers kind of in- integrated that into the game with, I think, um, Lineage 2 Revolution, which was a mobile game uh, that did quite well where it actually took a lot of Lineage's formula and then built it uh, with, they used the lineage IP, I believe, and then built auto hunting into the game. And it was funny because it's like, oh, this is the way we're all unofficially playing lineage today where everybody's bought in, but not really talking about it or, or you know, the, it's not really being hard enforced by the developer. Um, and then now even official NCSoft lineage has versions of the game like Essence Chronicle, where there's just a bot built in where you right click and set the range and the kind of mobs you want to attack and when you heal and, and when you buff and all this stuff. But it's an interesting transformation that I've observed from grinding, which, which you know, back back in the EverQuest days, lineage days, Final Fantasy, you would sit there for for many hours on end. To now this automated stage where you basically just watch your character do that, but you have to control the territory. And if someone comes and fights you, you know you have to play manually and 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 win the fight there before you go back to to auto hunting again. And I I think the like game design abstraction of this that's really interesting is just territory control and and having ownership of a space versus another group and protecting it. And I think the literal concept of watching your character fight for itself is. Uh, pretty odd for most people that that haven't gone through that evolution, I would say. But 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 I guess the the point here, and and it is somewhat relevant to even things we're thinking about for our game, is like there's something cool about the idea of you know owning a space or controlling the territory and actions happening there that don't require you sitting at your desk like every minute pressing inputs in order to acquire progression or rewards for own, owning that area. Yeah, Eve has similar stuff, right? Like where you just- They do. You set, yeah. you set your things and then you- Maybe that's why it blew up during the pandemic because you could have it running in the background. I mean, it's a great game game for that. I mean, if you have a lot of time on your hands and and you you can be at the computer when you need to be, like obviously that's a great game for that. And and I think all these games, Lineage, I'm sure for Dayok, for Slim, anyone who played EverQuest, like, you know, you had to devote so much time. You know, when when you were younger, you could do that. But I think for like us, it's pretty hard today. And I think in general, people have grown a little less tolerant of sitting and like doing some action and repetition for 10 hours straight to acquire a 5% XP. Like design has evolved from, from that point, but you know, and that, and even Eve, I think they have like uh, mechanics in place where you still have to kind of be present, but they're not going to sit there and make you like manually press a button and over, over and over to mine from a, an asteroid or something. It's more about the fact that you control that area and, and you're protecting it and while doing so, you're acquiring resources. Yeah. It it sounds like what you guys are building now is pretty different from Valorant. Oh, yeah. 
and, and <laughs> not the least of which is it's it's not a shooter. <laughs> we actually yeah. built all this shooter muscle. We have a whole team of everyone who's worked on shooters, and we're not making a shooter actually. It sounds pretty expensive too. I mean, I can't imagine what you're building is is. I mean, it sounds like you're, you've got to do a lot of experimentation. There's there's a lot of systems that need to work together. I imagine, like from what you were saying before, it sounds like part of the thing that's interesting is there's probably some um, player goal formation that's going to happen, and not just like missions that you guys are authoring and that kind of thing. That doesn't sound cheap. Is it third person? It's expensive on multiple on multiple fronts. It, it is third person, like kind of isometric. We're, we're kind of modeling off of League of Legends style of gameplay. Um, there, there are meaningful differences. Um, but we, um, uh, it is expensive. It's expensive um, on time and, and, and thought and energy, uh, thought energy, because there's a lot of complexity to deal with. Um, this is potentially... Um, the, the most complex game that we may work on, um, that I may ever have the energy to work on. Um, it, it like, let's say Valorant's like 10 moving parts. It's like uh, characters, abilities, guns, maps, um, uh, et cetera. This game at beta could have the potential of having 30 to 50 moving parts. Um, mm. With the, We've talked through 80. So over the years past beta, like, and, and, and this, this list is non, the, the complexity is non-linear because these things are interwoven. So it's a complexity just like ramps. That's like a multi-variable so, calculus equation. Yeah, it's, it's a monster. <laughs> we, we knew it was a monster and it was very much the monster we thought. Can you design that on paper? Does that have to be play tested to get good? Oh, great question. I think, uh, so the initial loop we thought through and, you know, the high level th activities that people would do and how those would connect everyone and, and where conflict would arise between players. Like a lot of that theoretically was done on, on paper and thinking about some of the features that would be most important to create that loop. I think the challenge is understanding how all that plays in real time and the player psychology behind how they use all this stuff when it when it's combined together. I think that's when it gets really hard on paper to understand and calculate all the different interactions and and responses players might have to the systems that you at some point need to test. It's almost like playing chess or something, right? It's like like but, something yeah, happens yeah. and then the state is different and you so you can't in your head, you can't have every state in and your head. There's too many combinations. Yeah, to yeah. math out that many combinations is just not quite possible. And I think we try to do our best, right? We've been playing games in this space for, I mean, multiple decades at this point. And I think we want to do better than, you know, the games in the past that we've learned from and, and, and you know, kind of paved the way to under understanding how some of these systems interact and, and, and how players respond. Um, so getting even to a state where we're, uh, resolving problems that a lot of games have had in the past is a lot of work and 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 a lot of figuring out the different uh, dynamics there. But then when you add in these new considerations or new combinations, um, you really need to see people playing in that environment together to understand how they start to use them and mix them and interact with one another. So I think that's one of the new challenges we've had with with this game you know, previously working on Valorant and, and then for me before that League of Legends, it was very easy to test those games because you just need 10 players for an hour and you see the entirety of how League of Legends plays or how Valorant plays. But in a game like this, you need, you know, tens to hundreds of players coexisting in a world for, for weeks at a time to truly understand how those systems play out. Um, 
and and while you know we have our own team of you know around 30 people us playing for a, a week in a row you know it cuts into dev time a lot. And sometimes that, that is worth it for us, but we don't have the convenience of, you know, on, on Valorant, we play tested twice a day uh, throughout most of the development. We can't really, you know, do that yeah, to the same right. cadence yeah. um, that we can did, for this did, game. Is so that something lot- you discovered? Did you discover that? Like as you're or, or at the beginning where you're like, Hey, if we're going to build this game, um, we're going to need to figure out how to iterate on it through play. Yeah, there's some ideas we've considered that could be really interesting around um, like summarizing what happened on a server or even telling it in the, 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 the form mm-hmm. of like a newspaper or like updates of <laughs> all these events and occurrences that happened or NPCs. Right. How do you interpret like what 30 people did over two weeks? It's like, yeah. Have, right. It's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, as a, as developers, it's very difficult to know what's going on in all these these worlds at the in parallel worlds at the same time. How do you keep up with what's happening and getting that the beats from each of these? You know that that could be a potentially useful tool for us to help get a better understanding or at least just summaries at a high level of what's what's going on in in the different worlds for our game. Um, but you know, getting getting back to the 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 play testing of it. That that's just a new challenge and, and learning. We're learning along the way of, of how to navigate that. And we read like this article not too long ago about um Breath of the Wild. They the way they tested that game is the whole team would play test the experience all the way through twice a year. I, I think they averaged like two and a half times a year throughout development. And, you know, the first time they play tested, it was only a weekend, like two days. And then, you know, by the end, they were play testing for multiple weeks to get through the whole game. Um, we talked to, you know, some of the original WoW developers of like, hey, how'd you like test this beast? Like, how'd you figure out, you know, the, the way the economy would work and, and, and how all these, you know, crafting balanced with instance rating and all of that. And, you know, I think the reality at, at the time was like, you just winged it in, in a bunch of situations and and theory crafted the results as best you could and then iterated as you got into beta and and that worked you know pretty good for them but but we want to try to you know um do more testing earlier on and and see if we can get a pulse on how all this stuff's playing out in reality outside of our theory crafting and and that's part of where we think a strength of being a startup is we can build with a much smaller community initially and have hundreds of players that can play it and and help us understand what's working and what's not and iterate on that over time before it's really ready for like a much larger yeah. audience to come in and yeah. play it. Um, and so we're learning that in real time and, and, and kind of figuring that approach out uh, because it's very different from our experience on, on Valorant and then League of Legends before that. You know, one of, one of the truths of game development, I think that, that, cuts across any genre or anything is just is just how much iteration like matters to how good something can be and so it's really interesting to hear you guys approach to to how you're testing and iterating on something that's so complex yeah and and i think iteration you know like one thing we we've i don't remember in the past if we've mentioned this about about valorant but you know it it took a long time to build that game. It, it took seven years of, of, of time to, to create it. And I think on paper, that sounds like a really long time, right? And, and it is, um, but, but you're, you're taking iterations and, and building on, on, on top of ideas that other com- 
competing products have been iterating on for 15 years. You have Halo and, and, and Counter-Strike and, and Call of Duty. These are franchises that have been around and iterated and built upon. I mean, look at World of Warcraft today, how many iterations that's that's gone yeah. through uh, to be the modern MMO it is today. Um, you're starting from scratch and competing with that, you know, um, when, when you're playing in the same genre. And so even being able to iterate to be on the same level as them is difficult, but then to iterate beyond that or find opportunities that maybe they haven't identified or the audience is like kind of holding on to what it is and they can't really change it from, from where it's at. Um, that's a long process and it's a lot of play testing and it's understanding the genre very deeply, your, your audience very deeply. Um, and I think that can be underestimated a lot in game development, but is, is very critical. I'd love to do a little bit in the in the wayback machine of like how you guys met, like you know how what were the early days of Valorant like? You know what was your formative experiences growing up? I know lineage was part of it, um, like that <laughs> kind of prepared you for that journey and the secret sauce that made it happen. Where's where's a cool place to start? How did you guys meet? Um, yeah, uh, I'll let. Trevor go first because he joined, I think, just before I did. We both joined 2011, I think. Yeah, I, I was right at the start, January 2011. And the notable part about that year was it was um, basically it was the second year that second season of League of Legends. So League of Legends was already built, made, established, but was nascent. It was um, very broken in its first year, um, but good enough to like start garnering like an audience. Um, and then we both joined at a time where, uh, before basically the hockey stick happened. And so there was a lot um, of that we, a lot of that that we were a part of, uh, were very fortunate to witness, very fortunate to have joined around other people who like helped to um, grow and accelerate it. Um, and so it was very formative at that time, but, but, but Trevor landed there first, so <laughs> he can talk about how he got in. I'll, I'll just give a quick origin story. So. Um, I joined Riot at a time where I was, I'll just say an aspiring pro for League of Legends. So, you know, at that time, World Cyber Games was still very big. That was probably the most prestigious esports event, uh, in that era. There was like a new egg tournament, Alienware arena. Um, but, but League was still kind of in a fledgling state for, for esports. And, you know, I, I always had this desire to be a pro in, in some game, I, you know, played a lot of Dota, Warcraft 3 Dota, played lots of Counter-Strike, WoW Arena, um, Warcraft 3. I, I was always a very competitive player. I think the only exception to that where it wasn't necessarily an esports space was uh, like like this genre of MMO, PvP MMOs like Lineage 2. But actually, my first MMO was Final Fantasy XI, which was completely PvE. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it as a kid. And it was this huge big virtual world that, you know, I had never experienced before. It was, it was very magical. Um, but actually one of my friends who I played paintball with and, and met playing paintball, uh, we at some point realized we both played Starcraft. So we were talking about Starcraft and, 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 and gaming and, you know, playing competitive games. And he played this game called Lineage 2. And Lineage 2 was like a lot more down my alley because it's it very PvP focused. You know, there's all this dynamics of politics, of, of drama with guilds. And, you know, you, you gain all this power through grinding and you could use that in, 
helping your guild control territory and fight for castles. And, and so I was super into it from the very beginning. And, um, you know, a lot of the people I played lineage with, even in, in discord, we run Tarkov last night and a few of them are from like some of the OG lineage crew. So, <laughs> you know, we've, we've gone through, through a lot together in in games, but, you know, uh, at the same time, I always enjoyed these more hyper competitive games. So I kind of had these like two parallel experiences and sometimes they overlapped where like, um, a lot of counter pro counter-strike players were playing lineage too. So, um, like I didn't know it at the time, but when we, uh, pretty early in Valorant, one of the, the level designers on the team, Sal Grozo, who, uh, was a, a former counter-strike legendary pro he knew a lot of the people i played with in lineage who were pro counter-strike players so it was kind of funny network of people like in these hyper competitive games that were playing some of the pvp oriented games but um anyway so i was always you know pretty competitive in in whatever i played um and and trying to get into you know league at the time where the pro scene was it felt like it was going to get pretty big. There was heroes in new earth at that time as well. And, and I really liked a lot of the things about league. So I ended up committing more to that. And, um, and, and so around the time that, that we were qualifying for world cyber games, uh, I got hit up by the, the VP of design, Tom Cadwell at, at riot. And, you know, he was, he, I was very active on the forums about play testing and feedback and whatnot. And, um, he, he offered me an internship and, and long story short, I kind of had to choose which route and, and ended up deciding, you know, longer term, I think it would probably be a better career to, to get into game dev, which, which I didn't really think about at the time, but, uh, from an internship, uh, joined on, on league and did live balance for the game. So kind of through like season one, season two. How old were you then when you, when you got that internship? When I first joined, I was 21. So I remember they were, uh, ID me at the company party partially <laughs> as a joke, but, uh, did you go to college? Did you go? To uh, I was, I was, I was at a community college. I was in my second year and I was thinking about transferring. And even when I, when I joined, when I was interviewing to join full time at riot, you know, we were discussing like, Hey, do you want to finish school? Like, would you consider transferring? And, you know, there weren't uh, academia for game design is, is interesting. I think it's evolved a lot over time. This was, you know, 12 years ago or 13 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so there was only a couple options that seemed particularly intriguing, but you know, one thing, uh, Brandon Beck, one of the co-founders of Riot mentioned was if you think you're going to stay in game design and game development, you're probably going to have a hard time getting the same experience in, in school as you would like being on the job and doing stuff, you know, in, in the active role. Uh, but if you think you're going to leave game development, you should go finish school and like, make sure you, you do that. But I, I really loved the job and, and enjoyed it. Um, so I ended up just saying, okay, I'm going to just go straight into riot and, and forget about school and, and just get in there. That was that in your head. Was it like, I could, I could finish school. I could do this internship or I could, pursue a pro gaming career? Was that? You had three things. Wait, what's the major? What's the major? What were you trying to make? I, I was just in business. I, I really had no, I, I really didn't even think about game development as a career. It never crossed my mind. I don't know. It just felt like I played these games. I was deeply invested in them, but it's kind of funny. Like before Riot, developers didn't really interact with you or talk to you. There was kind of like this wall, you know, and, and you just never knew that side. But the second I was on the league forums and interacting with all 
the rioters is like, oh, there's like these humans, these developers yeah. <laughs> on the other side that that make this game and build it and they're playing it with you. And and that was really cool. Um, so I think ultimately uh that just felt like the most exciting path. The one I, I was really enjoying, you know, the three three months I had been at Riot was a blast, you know, it was super fun. So um, that's ultimately what I ended up doing in my career. And let's be honest, like league was still fledgling. There's no way I would have made it as a pro anyways. Like some of, some of the guys that were on my team actually did quite well, um, which, which was awesome to see, but, but ultimately, you know, I went down that path. So he chose wisely. He chose wisely. <laughs> yeah. I would say you chose wisely too. <laughs> it worked out okay. on the long term. Yeah. Uh, but, but it, so anyways, at the end of my, my tenure on league, I, was sit just by pure coincidence, Slim joined Riot uh, and was sitting in the the pit that was essentially live balance and new champion design for League of Legends. And he was sitting, like we kind of had an open floor plan and dividers and he was just on the other side. Um, and we were talking about balance or something and him and, and then Thomas Vu who joined at the same, same time would kind of poke their heads up and comment on like not nerfing a champion they liked playing or we had a balance board and they'd move things around on the balance board, you know, trying to mess with us. <laughs> it was a different time back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that developed a, a, a relationship of, of playing games together, you know, and, and identifying, talking about opportunities and things we were playing and, um, you know, that was super relevant to, to what Slim joined Riot for, which is starting up new, new R&D projects, which I'll let him talk about. But anyways, that's, that's where I met Slim and, and we started playing games and building this, this relationship of just, you know, what are people playing? What's fun? What are some of the issues with the games we, we love right now? And, and where are their opportunities? Um, and, you know, from there, that spun the idea of Valorant up and, you know, Long story short, that was where where we started uh, building a relationship together, and up to this point with Raid Base. I have a a, a longer origin story, but I will I will skip uh, the vast majority of it. Um, the the parts that I think might be don't relevant. skip the good parts, um, Lynn. Don't skip the good. That's parts. what you mean by good. There's a lot that I learned <laughs> through a lot of uh, smashing my face into into uh, heinous stuff. Um, I was in college to um to learn computer science because i felt like that was the only way i could potentially make games one day i did uh maybe differently than trevor i knew i wanted to make games since the fifth grade um since the sierra online like days yeah what, what was the what, what was there a game that you were like it's like i want to do that yeah i mean like it's basically all the sierra online games the police quest king's quest space quest all those like really inspiring to me um just the all the rpgs back then um uh, uh, space games and whatnot back then. Um, I knew I wanted to make games, and um, and I was denied like um, uh, any kind of game device. Like I never got a Nintendo. Um, my mom was convinced it would be a death of me. In hindsight, she was probably right because um, I she knew I'm I'm pretty obsessive, and so if if I got on that train, like I would not get off. Um, so I never got a Nintendo. So, um, but I was also pretty like I'm kind of a ninja, and so. I convinced my parents that a PC would be an educational tool. And we, we grew up really like lower uh, middle class. And so it was like a huge deal. It was like multiple months of my dad's salary to buy a PC back then. And so um, he, but you know, immigrant family, like education number one. And, and so I knew that was my path, <laughs> a thing that I could play on. This is great advice for anybody who's like coming up today uh, to 
to use a computer as a wedge to get yourself into games because I've heard that story many times. It is a great investment. What'd you get? What was the computer? It was like a, um, a simple XT. It didn't even have turbo. It was, you know how you used to do like an Alt 10 or Alt F10 or I forget, Alt Plus or something like to turn a turbo on? And I'm like, why would you ever turn the turbo off? Like, yeah, right. why would you ever turn turbo <laughs> off? Right. Um, this is like pre hard drives. This is like uh, even even pre floppy. It was like it was like really early days. I had everything I needed, but nothing I wanted. Basically, it's like TLDR. Um, but every year, my dad would um, find some way that we could like um, go to a national park. So that would be our family trip every year. We go to a national park. So after a few years of this, you know, I'm in the fifth grade and I, uh, I get, start to get crafty enough with my dad. Um, so I, we, I, one of the things that I did have was like a subscription to the Sierra online magazine. And the back of it was like, oh, like, you know, write us, you know, and I'm fifth grade. I have no idea like what boundaries are, whatever. So I wrote in, I'm like, hey, do you guys do like tours? Like, do you guys have take visitors? And they're like, oh, sure. Come on over. Right? Oh, I know where this is going. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, they're like, here's our address. And it's like Oakhurst, California. And I'm like, uh -huh. where the heck is Oakhurst, California? I'm like looking right it up in like Yosemite. a Thomas guide. It's right next to Yosemite. <laughs> yeah. It's like 20 minutes outside of Yosemite. So I was like, dad, um, can we go to Yosemite this year? He's like, okay. Um, and then, you know, so like six months later, we're like driving and um, I made sure we were already on our way, like an hour into the drive, I was eight hour drive or whatever. I'm like, dad, can we uh, stop by this town called Oakhurst? And he, I, could, I remember his eyes. In the rearview mirror, he's just like, wait, what are you up to? <laughs> and um, so eventually we go there and we spent a whole, they spent a whole day with us because there's nothing in Oakhurst. I'm sure they haven't gotten a visitor in like years, um, but they spent a whole day with us. I got to see um, Ken Roberta Williams and um, wow, and uh, uh, got to see I forgot the uh, Al Lowe, I think the guy who made like Lucy Larry. I shouldn't have known oh, who that yeah. was, but I did at the time. And um, and watched him, you know, doing all the pixel art and everything. It was like mind-blowing to me as a fifth grader and at the end of the tour tour guys like you know like what, what do you want to do when you uh when you grow up a little kid i'm like i want to go to stanford i want to make games and he's like that's nice and then i was a single-minded train from then on and that's all that's like the only tree i was chopping i was chopping that every day um not actually thinking what happened but that was what i was chasing and uh eventually i i i i, I go to college and I, um i graduated the only reason why i mentioned this is just because of the um it was like kind of right place, right time kind of thing. But I was at Stanford in computer science to make games. But I graduated the year 2000, which is the peak of the dot-com boom. So mm -hmm. what that's, where that's relevant is that I got sidetracked, essentially. But at the same time, that's when I play, I know life, Dark Ages of Camelot. And I know life with my, um, uh, one of the guys who's my best friend. He's one of my best friends because he's the one who convinced me to get back and on, on the train to developing games like i i kind of owe him my life in, in that regard and um and uh we, we we don't know the the ground rules of 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 etiquette uh in mmos at the time and so being min maxing players we shared one account so one of the fun things that we would do was to try to maintain one personality as two people and our <laughs> character in darkest of camelot did not log off for four months three to four months um other than server maintenance so people were like man this guy's an animal and like it was really dr jekyll and mr hyde because my friend is like really um uh nice and 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 really uh i guess political in that way and i'm like 
XP per hour. Like, <laughs> they're like, man, this guy's like on or off. Like, it's just kind of funny. Um, and so, uh, and so anyway, in that time, we, we developed a lot of friends, uh, that, that we still keep in touch with to this day. Um, and then and, and some friends who, uh, were playing that much as much as us, um, who are unfortunately, they were able to play that much because they were terminally ill. So, it was so formative to have those experiences in these games where, you know, at the time, early 2000s, people, gaming had a reputation of being for basement dwellers, basically. Like the whole, you know, Cartman episode, like that was the the the, the reputation. And I'm like, what do you guys, like, this is an antisocial thing. But I ever only knew games as a multiplayer social environment. The games that I've gone to from all the Blizzard games um, uh, to Counter-Strike to MMOs to RTSs, like, they were all only multiplayer games. And so um, I was like this, you know, I, maybe that was formative and um, I don't feeling as compelled as I am to focus so much um, on multiplayer experiences. And so that's where it all kind of formed. Fast forward way, way later. I started Blizzard um, in 20, the January 2010. And the, the reason why that date is significant is League of Legends started uh, a, a, the month before that, December 2009. And um, all of our friends, we, we had been raiding in WoW for like seven years, and we transitioned to League of Legends. And then two months later, we um, were at GDC and um, in March of 2010. And at GDC, um, we were at this fancy pants Valve party because um, there was a three, trio of, of us at, at Maxis at, at EA. And, um, and one of the guys, I went to Blizzard and the other guy went to Valve, and he's now one of the big dudes at valve eventually we're like oh like should we go to the riot party um because we had we had um it was a game we were playing and uh, we had uh, invites so we went over there um and it was an instant contrast uh, valve was also swanky, people sipping champagne the riot party was in a janky like tenderloin warehouse <laughs> in sf and there were drink shotgun and beers yeah and so <laughs> I, I remember being on the balcony looking at the party um and despite all that, there was something instantaneously like noticeably different about it beyond that, which was there was a long table with five computers on each side and people were playing League of Legends and I was being projected on the wall and there was a shopcaster like casting the game. And that might sound like expected today, but back then I, I, it dawned on me that I had been going to GDC like six years or something at that time. And this was the first party I had been to that had a game at a party at game developers conference. Like, I'm like, can that be? And I think it was true. Yeah. I'm like, this is yeah. The, like instantly Riot stood out. And so eventually a friend introduced me to a bunch of people. Oh, you want me some Riot people and talk to some bunch of people. And one of the guys I talked to, we talked like for like half an hour about like raiding in, in WoW and playing Counter-Strike and PC bongs and scripting in MUDs. And I'm, I'm like, eventually I'm like, what do you do at Riot? He's like, oh, I'm Brandon, one of the founders. I'm like, you want to play games <laughs> and, and I, I just joined Blizzard, so I was like, Blizzard was the end game for me. You know, like I, not just so one because it's Blizzard, and as a multiplayer game PC gamer, I mean, like it, it's it was pinnacle. Um, but two, I had raided in WoW for seven years, and I played at that time like seven thousand or so hours of Counter Strike, uh, and so I was a producer on Titan, which was supposed to be an MMO shooter. And so I'm like, I'm done. I will work on this game for the next 30 oh, years I and I will that. die on this. I was just like, uh, that's, that's the mentality that I went into Blizzard with. And, uh, and so, but I meet Brandon. And so not thinking anything, I was just like, this guy's a cool dude. Let's just play games. And he's like, sure. So we became gaming buddies over the next like couple of years. So it was 2010, 2011. And, um, 
and eventually, uh, you know, playing three, four nights a week, um, every every time I get off the line for the night, um, my, my wife my wife is like a total civilian. Like she, I've known her for like nearly civilian. thirty years now, and she like she knows all the gaming lingo, but she's not a gamer at all. She says she's not a gamer at all. I'm but calling my wife that from now yeah. on. Civilian, <laughs> careful, total normal careful. civilian. Yeah, and so she, um, you know, I, I get off the line one night, and uh, the way we have our our, our setup is um, my gaming computers in the living room so that we can spend time together and she's on the couch watching her k-dramas and uh and and um and that's how we like to just hang out and, and so i get off the line one night and she's like um hey every time you talk to those right guys um it's like you're alive again and i'm like not thinking too much of them like oh where's she going with this um and she goes a little further she's like i, I know you and um if you don't go talk to them um you're going to be kicking yourself in a bunch of years and i, I don't want to hear it and uh you know i was like like i love blizzard like should i you know i thought through it some more and you know the brandon i know is like it's very compelling <laughs> to say the least he was a fellow thinker that's how we got along like swimmingly in the beginning we were just like man this game should every game that came out first of all we were playing and Sadly, that's at that time, especially a lot of the gaming leaders had stopped playing. They just any every every legitimate reason to not be playing. But the fact is, they weren't playing anymore. They weren't in touch with players. Brandon was. Um, I was trying to be. Um, and uh, and so and so we were piecing apart games and thinking about oh they should have done this and this. Like what if we tried this and this? Maybe we should make a game that's this and this. And so eventually, I was like, hey, um, Brandon, you want to go to Comic Con? And he um, he uh, had never been before. And, um, we were at a, uh, bar, uh, waiting to get a seated at a restaurant, um, one evening at, at Comic-Con and, um, Brandon's on his phone. He's like, and I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to do this. I'm like, all right. Um, Hey Brandon, uh, I was wondering if we could talk about something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, in all the games we've been, we've been talking about, like, I think we should actually do something about it. I, I think uh, I would love to apply to riot and he's still on his phone. And I'm like, did he hear me? Um, it was like an excruciating, it must have been only like 30 seconds, but it was like excruciating. I'm like, should I take it back? <laughs> and he eventually puts his phone down and he's scrambling and he grabs a napkin and he just like scribbles on it and he slides it over and it was an offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I ended up feeling compelled to go to, to write. It was like, I, I, I was not leaving Blizzard, like Blizzard, was the pinnacle it, it, especially at that time and um and i didn't leave for any uh any reason uh of anything being wrong i was just so compelled to uh i was like i didn't know where i didn't join because i thought league was gonna blow up either i was like there's this magical being brandon who surrounded himself by other magical being like mark and other people i'm like we all these people are there's something magical here and we are all super aligned on why we care about making games um, why this shit matters, why we work so hard. And I found a little haven. Like Riot is a haven for game playing developers. And I said that for years to all the people right. we try to recruit. Um, and I fully believed it. And um, and so anyway, that's how I ended up at, at Riot. And then that's where I, the, I was so excited. Um, I had a six week gap. I think between Blizzard and Riot, uh, of which I played this other game um, called Starfleet Commander, which is its own story that actually is relevant to what we're doing at Raid Base. But anyway, um, I was so excited that I kept showing up at, at Riot to the, uh, and Brandon like just 
orbital orbital nuked it and and just um and i i he he um he got me a badge and a computer before i started i know in the state of california actually you're not allowed to people i was there to hang out i was not there to do any work but i happen to have a badge um state of california and so anyway i um I, so I you were the squatting show up there for six weeks before your yeah, start so date. Yeah, the, so the place that I squatted was the desk in front of Trevor. <laughs> and, so, ah. and so then that's how we met there. And then we were messing with them. And no one knew what our jobs were because we just showed up. Me and Thomas, we just showed up on the same day. And they're like, who are these randos? I just two coming random in, dudes on the other like, side. Two no, producer no guys. So no one no. knows. <laughs> and so that's how we first encountered each other. We started playing games. And then uh, in a, over that time, we started talking about, like, again, the opportunities. And, and with Valorant, um, uh, it was so glaring at the time. You know, like, Le League was showed to us that there was a huge demand for competitive games. Um, you know, people talk too specifically, I think. They're like, oh, are mobiles taking off? I'm like, yes, maybe. Uh, there were other successful mobiles, MOBAs-ish, but really, there's just League. Um, we were thinking of it at a more abstract level. Like, other than League, what was there? There was Counter-Strike at the time, but it was essentially had um, uh, hit an uh, equilibrium. It wasn't growing. It was just kind of like staying in like kind of these grassroots competitions. Um, I think Halo had subsided at the time. It had its moment. I, I remember being part of that era where we'd go to an MOG event because on the live balance team, Riot would fly us to the different esports events to interact with the, the players. And having been on the pro scene, I knew some of the, the players at the time. And, you know, when we first started going, uh, League would have this little tiny area, a little stage and a little audience. And StarCraft II had this massive stage and huge audience. And, you know, they were always booing at League or, or whatever. And, and every event you'd go to, the StarCraft II audience would get a little smaller and the League audience would get a little <laughs> bit bigger. And it just kept going, you know, for a while. And, and at this time, there was nothing else. Like Counter-Strike was in this weird, awkward, like people were still playing 1.6. Some were playing Source. I think Go had come out, but it was still like really early and people were trying to figure out, you know, where, where it stood. So it was really like StarCraft and, and League. And it was, it was interesting watching over time how League just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, you know, unfortunately, like StarCraft got smaller. So is that like the initial genesis for Valorant then was like, hey, we want to make a competitive game. We want to make another competitive game. What kind of competitive game? And it was very obvious, like, well, the other most popular actually this is flat out the most popular combat model just let's make a competitive shooter and then from there there were further branches that took uh, many months um and, and and years to to sort through was within a competitive shooter what kind of competitive shooter like something that kind of highlights your solo play like quake should we make it um solo or team-based um so we want to go team-based and then within team-based like action versus tactical and action versus tactical took a long time to sort through like i don't think we made that decision for like two years or something um was something like two years all about executing right like executing it like before making it perform it yeah. yeah 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 the performance was like a monster and then um anti-cheat was a what was uh something a very high priority very early on because i had quit every shooter i loved because of cheating and so we one of the first 10 people we hired was an anti-cheat person and everything we and another check on the server for something was another thing that bumped the latency. And so it was just this wrestling for many, many years to resolve. Um, 
that I'm like, good luck to anyone else trying to do this. Like you can make a shooter, you can have the same bullet points of features. It will not feel like this. Right. Like in a competitive game like that, like how much would you say the effort, what percentage of the effort is about um, creating the correct environment for competitive play, the, the performance latency and the anti-cheat? Is it like 10%? Is it 50% somewhere else? I mean, if you look at the features on the back of the box of Valorant, 10 characters with four abilities and four maps, most professional AAA developers would look at that and say, that's like a year or two. And they wouldn't <laughs> be wrong. However, and so on those bullet points, Valorant would look like 30 other dead hero shooters. But why is it that Valorant, um, I, I don't know about succeeding as far as it did, but why did it rise to the uh, resonance, I think, with players? It's because it's buried in hundreds of those tiny details of like, when I click, how many milliseconds until, you know, like um, there's a response, let alone, did I lose this engagement when I peeked this corner because I could have done something better? Or it's because the server disagreed with what I saw, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And most people wouldn't articulate that detail, but then like, ah, oh, fuck this. And then they just walk away. Right. So how do you keep win people over and keep them in is we believed buried in these hundreds of tiny details that are not on the back of the box. Thinking back on it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 50% of the time we spent. Uh, one of the, the, the biggest areas I'd say in design exploration we spent on was trying to figure out how to get abilities in a game where people kill each other within one second of seeing each other. And, and what exactly the ability design looks like in a world that plays like that, you know, in a, in a tactical game. And at the time, a lot of what you would consider as abilities in, in those kind of shooters were walking over a claymore that kills you immediately, or, you know, an airstrike coming up over your head and, and one shotting you. And, and one thing we, we took from league is some of these fundamental concepts of, of good game design, at least from the context of League. I, th I think game design is very contextual, but within League is this idea of counterplay. It, it's this thought that you actually have something you can do against the opponent. And when they take an action, you can react or, or you have some response you could have thought about and incorporating that into a, a tactical shooter and what that experience looks like. You know, and I, I don't think we got it perfect, but you know, we spent a lot of time trying to identify what what's an ability space that's going to make the game more fun because they exist than actually make it worse because they exist. And I think that was very common at the time as often abilities in those games would get turned off in more competitive modes. People would take out all these features in the game because players felt like it was a better competitive game without that stuff. So I think that were, there was a long journey of learning and understanding what that looked like in, in the genre, um, that took up a lot of time on the design side. Yeah, super fascinating. Love, I love you guys' approach. I think you guys make a great team because uh, it sounds like you approach problems with all your energy, but with a slightly different process. Something that served us really well so far is like we're always in a learning mode. Um, uh, it's always kind of odd to us, uh, particularly Trevor and I, like when people either call us or treat us as like a senior developer. Um, and I'm like, man, if I'm senior and I have like, you know, at the time, like 10 years, like 15 years of experience, like what's like a Scorsese or like a Spielberg who's been doing this shit for like 70 <laughs> years. Like what, like, you know, like we're, we're, we're nothing like, you know, people walk around with like, after like one or two 
big games under the belt or some like lead title and 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 think they know everything i'm like that's like laughable like we don't know where games are going to go um the the players are constantly demanding different things like if we take this stuff really seriously and i think we're always kind of in learning mode and and, and asking questions and um post-processing everything like we that that generally i think has served us really well and that's something that i hope we keep having an opportunity to keep doing um but but yeah i think when i say like you know taking it seriously like i think studying it and thinking about it and being thoughtful before making decisions or just leaping into action um uh can maybe prevent um some 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 more obvious mistakes in hindsight you know we're just trying to you know making games is so hard you just try to stack the deck as much as you can and even then you know i think so much can come to luck and timing and 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 just being you know in, in the right place at the right time but you know We'll, we'll work as hard as we can to try to increase the odds, but I still think even then it's it's challenging. Oh, it's always always something new happening. Always a lot of learning going on. That's often that's the best you can do. Thank you guys uh, for having us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yo. Of course. Thanks, guys. Wow, those guys are. I those guys are really impressive. You know, what's they play really games to me. They play games. <laughs> that's they, the thing that's like they play games. They study games. They they just love games. They're just so deep in it. Um, and just hearing the story about how they made their way to Riot and what the culture over there is is like. You know, really game first. You know, it's uh, that's fascinating to me. Like you know, Tre- Trevor having the the choice of oh, should I go pro. Should I go, go to business school? school? <laughs> should I should I try actually making games? You know, and that, that's amazing. Yeah, there's two things to take away from there. It's A, playing games is important. And the other one is uh, you don't have to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So whenever he, they're playing the game thing, we don't talk about it that much. I know you. Yeah, I know you. You you bring it up a couple of times, uh, but it's so. There's two. There's two things there. I used. I have a a relative who who was a chef, who never ate his his meals. Like he refused to. Eat. He didn't like the ingredients. Right. Like he didn't like tomatoes or something or whatever. So he would never eat the meals he was cooking. He's not a chef anymore. And I've worked. I've worked on games before where there have been people that are on the team that are proud that they don't play games and they kind of like. But they don't, they like they're proud of it. Like they say things like, I don't like games. And then they make them. And it's just weird. It's weird. It's very weird. weird. So you have to play games, even if it's a crossword puzzle. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm being serious. Like that's a game. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there are stories about how they got into the industry and how they ended up at Riot together. And they're just their values, you know, as as game designers and game developers. It's really inspiring. Yeah, they like games. They played games, um, like they were like they yeah. met by playing games. That's like, like he was playing games with the guy forever before he went. You know, it's like, hey, I want to work with you. You know, I've been playing games with you and like you know doing raids and doing all this other stuff together. And well, and that wasn't just some rando. That was Brandon Beck, the founder of Riot. You know, so it's also <laughs> know, really interesting. <laughs> Really interesting part of yeah. the story too. I, you know, this was one that I thought might make a good opening quote, but we didn't, we didn't pick it. But um, Slim was talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which that also I thought was really a really interesting parallel between 
motivations uh, playing in a virtual world or in a game setting uh, as compared to just right, people motivations in the real world. Oh, uh, like players needs. Last. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Players needs. Like in the real world, I, sometimes I, I, I think we have artificial or sometimes real barriers as to how much impact we feel we can make, you know, in various settings. And then you're put into this game world and the context is different. Your place in the hierarchy is different. Your ability to create an impact is is somewhat orchestrated by the designers of the game. Uh, and depending on how open or closed those systems are, open to players to be able to um, leave a mark and an impact in that game world. And that's just really interesting. You know, it's it's uh, it's a it's a way in which games can be really fulfilling to people um, in a way that kind of mirrors what our just our needs are in general. So you're saying in the world because there's also out of the world, like like when we were talking about. I was like, is that the game where you could just like let it play by itself? And that would be a, a human need where it's like I can't sit here all day and play your game. Well, I'm saying like if you think of a game like Minecraft where. You know, it, it is super open. You can do whatever you want. And like, if you have some idea in your head of like, I'm going to build a castle and you go and do that, you have shaped the world. Oh, to your oh I see. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And in the real world, I, you know, I might sit around going, I want to build a castle, you know, and unless I'm like Richard Gary, I'm probably not going to actually build a castle. I see what you're saying. So there's a person's needs within the context of the game because i bet you that's what their game's going to have they're it's going to also it's going to have what you just said but it's also going to leave the game into the person's real life like i can't play this all day and then like like i think the pyramid is not just in the game is what i'm saying right like it it kind of transcends the game as to like your your connection to the game and and i think that's kind of fun you have your thing i think it's a neat mechanic uh, but it, it's it's also saying, hey, you the the game is this. Now you can go like you know like Eve Online. Like it, I want to build a base. Like right, like you said, I want to build a base. Did you ever play Eve Online? Yeah, I did. I love that game. I used to play it. Man, a lot. It, it looks like something so amazing that I would love, but I'm terrified. I I've just been intimidated to get into it. You know what I like about that game the most is the stories that came out of it. And I only experienced like a, a little sliver of it. Same thing with Rust, which I think they mentioned, which is like there's YouTube videos of like in Rust, there's a guy that built uh, a base and then he built like a basement in the base where he built another base where he would live. And then he made the base look like it was abandoned and like a clan moved into the base but he was living but he was in, in the, the basement. basement. <laughs> yeah. And like nobody knew. And there's like, a, <laughs> and that's a neat story. And then everybody knows the Eve online stories of the guy that infiltrates. Uh, he gets killed or something like robbed by, by this, this other clan. And then he like, or what are they called? They're not called clans in Eve. They're called uh, corporations. Corporations. Yeah. Yeah. And then he like infiltrates the corporation and goes all the way to the top and then like empties the bank account and things like this. Or the one where the big battle and then in that game, whenever yeah. you ship, it blows up, you get it's gone. It's yeah. Your pod. Well, your pod is there. Yeah. And but you and lose your stuff, right? Uh, it's not almost everything. like permadeath, yeah. isn't it? If you get potted. You get permadeath. That's a good game. I recommend it. You could be playing it right now, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, because you could like you. It's like their 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 RPG system is is timers. Like you, you like 
you you set like learn like learn math and then it like you hit start and it's like math level one and that takes five minutes math level two takes 15 minutes math level three takes you know 60 minutes and then you get to like math level 48 which makes you a better pilot or something or a better mechanic right because like these skills like stack and then that takes two years like you start getting to these like you know these skills that take like forever yeah that's part of the intimidation for me is like just how how much depth there is there that i don't know i don't know if i can get to all right well thank you everybody for spending time with us and uh with slim and trevor super cool cats those two yeah interesting duo we shall see you next time see everybody thank you for listening to the fourth curtain podcast the Fourth Curtain is a production of Fourth Curtain Media with community management by Doug Zartman. Lovingly edited and mastered by Brian Hensley at Noise Floor Sound Solutions in Chicago. To get a peek at upcoming episodes or to send in questions to the show, visit our site at thefourthcurtain.com. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.